Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live in the Washington, D.C. area, Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And lots of things going on in technology, as always. Uh, you know, we're going to have Russia has decided to ban the sale of devices in the country that don't have Russian software installed on those devices. Huh. And the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania just came down with a great decision about whether your passwords are protected by the Fifth Amendment. Very important, very important That's decision. Yeah, it is. I'm going to explain what that is. The idea of the week, we're going to have fun with this. The first space kingdom has now written their constitution. And um, they even have their own website. So, so who's going to populate this? I'm sure you're going to get into this. We'll but. get into that. That'll be an, And Google, of course, is offering a million and a half dollars if somebody can hack the Pixel phone. They're, they're, they're following Apple's lead in terms of offering bounties. And this week, we're going to feature Dmitry Grislin. He is an entrepreneur in Russia, best known as co-founder of Mail.ru. Hmm. The Mail.ru group is an interesting uh, story about Dmitry. So I thought I'd talk about some of the Russian guys there since we've, we're in this big technology battle with Russia and China. So I thought I'd look at some of their technology. And of course... It was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got a letter from June in Burke. Dear Doc, um, thanks for your information on data blockers. June wrote an email last week and we answered it. Right. Now, I enjoy your podcast at work and can go back uh, and listen to previous weeks. Now, I know that you recommended a vast software, A-V-A-S-T, for virus scanning. Now, where I work, DOD has banned the use of the of this particular antivirus, huh. antivirus software. Why? What, what Does that mean it's got security issues? June and Burke. Well, June, let's, let's look a little bit about Avast, uh, where it was coming, why I recommend it. Avast was founded by Edward Cusera and Paul Badis in 1988. Now, they, they met each other at the Research Institute for Mathematical Machines in Czechoslovakia. Now, they both studied math and computer science because if they, they, they wanted to just study physics, but they weren't allowed to study physics unless they joined the Communist Party of Czechoslovakia, and they did not want to become communists. So they refused to join the Communist Party, and they didn't study physics, but they just studied math and computer science. Now, at the Institute, Pavel Vadis discovered the Vienna virus on one of the floppy disks and developed the first program to remove it. Afterwards, he asked Edward, his friend, Cusera, to join him in co-founding Avast as a cooperative. See, back then it was a communist country. You couldn't start companies. You could start cooperatives. 
Now, the cooperative originally was called Alwill, A-L-W-I-L, and their software was Avast, Alwill. Now, the cooperative was changed to a joint partnership in 1991, two years after the Velvet Revolution, as they say, changed the government in Czechoslovakia, and they, they, they managed to get under the, out from under the control of the Soviet Union. The, the new regime severed ties with the Soviet Union and reverted to the country's, reverted the country's economic system to a market economy. In 1995, a vast employee, uh, old, old, old Rej Vichek. You're on your own here. Wrote the first <laughs> antivirus program for Windows 95 operating system. Now, in 1990, security researchers at the Virus Bulletin tested this software, and they gave Avast an award in every single category, and it increased the popularity of the software. In 2001, they converted to a freemium model, and that made them really popular. You could get the base program for free, and if you want to add on additional features, you pay a little bit more, but the freemium model was really good. By 2013, Avast had more than 200 million users in 38 countries. Now, here's the problem, I think, and I really understand the DOD position. It's good software, but DOD is really concerned that maybe this company could still be influenced by Russia. Sure. And they fear that there could be a backdoor in the software and and anything relating to cybersecurity they're really careful about. So, And DOD is increasingly becoming worried about foreign software. And so I think a vast, well, it's a good option for your home computer. I mean, I... I don't have any problem with it. I, I basically agree with DOD's caution uh, regarding the deployment in the enterprise, and they only want U.S. software where they can actually view all of the source code before they use it. So I still recommend Avast. It's a great price, and it's a great it, – it has it, – it's, it's good antivirus scanning, but I also agree with the DOD decision. Well, that was a good question, June. We got an email from Jim in Michigan. Dear Doc and Jim – I've got an email client that does not have the undo option. Sometimes I'll delete a sentence in error and would like to go back and undo the action, but I can't. Is there any way to perform this using some, some, some sort of keyboard commands? I'm using Windows 10 on my laptop, Jim in Michigan. Well, well, if it, you know anybody listening, if you're unfamiliar with undo, it means that if you do something like delete a word and you click undo, you'll reverse what you just did. And they also have a redo button in case you want to... If you undo it, you say, "Well, I really like that you could redo it." So, so they got so both. So make up your mind already. Yeah, they've still got undo and redo, and and many software packages have have you know in the drop down menu they'll have a undo and they'll have a redo. Now, it is true some of the mail clients don't don't have an undo, but here is a very neat trick, Jim. Your Windows 10 operating system has undo and redo built into the operating system. If you hit Control Z. Together, the control key and the Z key together, it will undo something without any tab in the uh, in the software. And if you hit control Y, it will redo it. So you've got undo and redo for any software programs you want with those two key combinations. Control Z for undo, control Y for redo. Just a little nice trick there. I use that because you know that it is annoying when I'm you know writing a saw, uh, right. an email and then I can't I delete something and I can't undo it. It's very annoying. So I, I use that key key combination all the time when I'm doing the software. I got an email from Saki and Herndon, dear Doc and Jim. 
What should I do if accidentally I land on a malicious website, start getting warning messages that my computer's infected? My, that's happened to my son recently. And, uh, you know, I want to give him advice if it happens again. Thanks for a great show. Saki in Herndon. Well, Salk, if you happen to land on a malicious page, bad things can happen quickly. I mean, it could be, and there, there's sort of a hint when this is happening. You think you're going to go to one page and you show up on another page that has nothing to do with it. It was like a fake link. Chances are that's malicious site. Or you click on a link and your computer computer just freezes up. It won't do, or it won't do anything. Or instead of an actual web page. You see a warning sign that says your computer's been infected by a virus, or a pop-up screen comes up and it demands that you pay ransom. That's a problem. Or you see other strange things happening, like toolbars pop up on your browser or your mouse cursor starts jumping around. Okay, if any of these things happen or you think you've been on a malicious website, do not click the back button on the browser or interact in any way with the web page. Do not make it, Do not call any phone numbers listed in the warnings because those are just fake. What you want to do, just shut down the computer. First, try to shut down the computer by the normal way. Just, just go to the, uh, to the start button and hit shut down. And if, somehow, if your operating system just won't respond, you can't shut down that way, just take the power switch and hold it down long enough until you just hard turn it off, you know, the hard way. And, um, and then turn it back on again, reboot. Do a virus scan, and you should be good to go. Once you start interacting with the web page, that's when bad things happen. So don't interact. Just turn off the computer. And you should be good to go. So give that advice to your son and watch the kind of web pages he's going to. Yeah. <laughs> We've got an email from Doug in Houston. Dear Tech Talk, I run a business that deals with some pretty sensitive customer data. Prefer not to be have the data stored on the cloud. I know cloud storage is supposed to be encrypted and secure, but with all the hacking, I just don't trust it. Right now, I'm using a 2-terabyte external USB hard drive to back up the data, but I'm worried that a fire could wipe it all out. What I'd really like to do is get a 4-terabyte external hard drive that's fireproofed. You know where I might get one, Doug in Houston. Well, Doug, uh, the good news is there's a company called IOSafe. I IOSafe makes great hard drive enclosures that are not only fireproof, but they're waterproof. Now, you see, Doug, you got to be waterproof because if there's a fire in the house and they come in with hoses to put out the fire, they're, they're, they're going to drench your computer with water. So you need waterproof as well as fireproof. IOSafe makes a device called the IOSafe Solo G3. It's a 4-terabyte ter fireproof and waterproof drive. It'll hold all your data and protect it from being lost in case of fire or water damage. It'll actually it's, – it's a waterproof. You can put it underwater. It's $399 from Amazon, so that's a nice option. But here's the trouble. I'd recommend that you back up to a remote location, too. I mean, if the whole house burns down, I mean, it could melt or somebody could steal it. I, I think having a, a backup at another location is really pretty important. There's a, there's a program called R-Sync, which is popular on Linux applications that allows you to transfer and synchronize at backup files over to other computers in other locations. It just goes over the Internet. It uses port 22, when, and so you can talk to it through port 22. It's an effective way to sync or back up your computer, and people in, in the Linux world use it all the time. Now, the good news is there are versions of R-Sync that are available for Windows machines. I'll give you a couple. You got, you've got Delta Copy. Delta Copy, that's free and open source. It does incremental backups to Windows, and you can basically... 
uh, you can basically then back up to a to a hard drive in another location, or may, you might have a network uh, attached uh, server, a NAS device, hooked into another network, and it will just go straight to that and back up there. And it would be in another location, could be in another city, which would be a, a pretty good idea. Now, the nice thing about this incremental backup, it only it doesn't do a complete backup of every file, but it only backs up the changes to the files, so it doesn't use so much bandwidth you know, going out over the Internet. Now, there's another one called AcroSync. Now, that one is, you got to pay for this one. If you get the personal license, it's $29.99. If you get a business license, it's uh, more expensive. It's like $79. So you pay something for it. But it's a very easy-to-use program. And it uses the native R-Sync technology that's built into the Windows operating system. So Windows actually has R-Sync built into it, and it just hooks into that built-in R-Sync technology, and it's got a very easy-to-use interface. So in addition to a fireproof hard drive at your business, I recommend you get another fireproof hard drive and back up and synchronize to that hard drive, and it would be at another location in another city. Then you are really safe. We got an email from Roger in Baltimore. I've got an iPhone 11. Oh, it's a, this guy's, come, you know, it, they, these come into me now because I've got an iPhone 6, Jim, and it's just making me feel bad. It's, is it waterproof? And what do these ratings mean? Uh, thanks for a great podcast, Rod, Roger in Baltimore. Well, Roger, your iPhone 11 and I've, it, Pro and your iPhone 11 Pro Max each have an IP68 rating. Now, IP, that doesn't stand for Internet Protocol. That stands for Ingress Protection. Ingress protection. So you can go to a cocktail party and say, well, my iPhone's IP68, and you'll just really impress everybody. So what the 6 means, the 6 means that it's the maximum rating for uh, for dust protection, any kind of dust. It's dust resistant. So dust is not going to get It has the maximum rating. Um, what the 8 means, that's the that means that it will, it will, it will, um, it will, be waterproof up to a meter depth for 30 minutes. And the IP, no, the IP67 is up for thir- up to up to one meter up to 30 minutes. And the IP68 is for more than one meter up to, um, you know, up to 30 minutes. And they specify what it would be. So it turns out that the um, I- iPhone 11 is IP68, and it's good for four, for four meters, up to four meters for 30 minutes. The iPhone XS is got the also 68 rating and, and it's good for up to two meters for 30 minutes. So the uh, the 11 is a little bit more waterproof. Now the iPhone 7, 8, and X they have an IP67 and they're good for about one meter up to 30 minutes. The iPhone 6 lacks any kind of rating for water or dust. Yeah, you know that firsthand. Yeah, and that's really what I've got. So uh, so. IP so IP68 is about as good as it gets. So um, I think you're you're good to go. You you can't go scuba diving with it, but you know if it's if it falls into a swimming pool or something, you know you're that's going to be less than four meters typically. It's going to be safe. So back up for a second here. I had to walk out of the studio to check on something. Now I now have the iPhone 10, which is not waterproof. No, the iPhone 10 is IP67. That and it is rated. Up to two meters depth for thirty minutes. So I could jump into the water, yeah, for a half an hour with nothing 
no case, no nothing on yeah, this, and the yeah. phone's going to be fine? Yeah. That's actually why they eliminated the uh, the, the headphone uh, jack. The headphone jack. The thing that I've been grousing about, yes. Yeah. That's, and so, like, if, yeah, it's... Uh, so you, so could, you could take it underwater and take pictures with it. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Now, I'm I don't, not going to do that. But. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> so... So the thing is, it's up now. It's rated up for up to two meters depth for thirty minutes, and the iPhone 11 is up to four meters depth for thirty minutes. Wow! So they had been working quite diligently to solve this waterproofing problem, and I think they've got it. And that's and they'll eventually, when they go to this uh, magnetic induction charging, they'll even get rid of the, the they'll get rid of the last port. They'll get rid of the uh, the lightning jack. Yeah. So you know the problem I've got with that, Doc, is that you have to then if you don't have if you don't have a lightning jack at all, then everything is Bluetooth, and uh-huh. you've got to have earbuds. Yep. That's where they're going to make the money. They make is a l- all the people that lo- I mean can I mean at least when you have headphones, you've got uh-huh. a wire that connects it to the machine. Yep. But if you drop an earbud, they're gone. It's gone, and they're they're not cheap. No, I, and I don't think those earbuds are very comfortable to wear. I don't like – see, that's the problem. I don't like the way the Apple uh, headphones, earbuds feel in my ears. They no. Don't... So, so I, I've got Bose Bluetooth noise-canceling headphones. Which are basically – they're, they're over big, the over ear. the ear Those things. are over the ear, yeah. Well, that makes you look real cool, doesn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, look, <laughs> I look really – yeah, I walk around the uh, cocktail party. Well, I don't – well, you know, nobody, nobody's talking to me anyway. So I just There's that. I'm there with the noise cancel. Uh, you know, I could. Somebody, You're there for the booze and the, yeah, and see, the cocktail. And if, and if somebody's a little loud, I just turn on. I just turn the on switch for noise cancellation, and I'm <laughs> and I'm, I'm good to go. <laughs> what you need now is your Google glasses to go with that, and you're perfect. So, so the topic for tonight at the cocktail party, those of you Tech Talk listeners, is what does IP68 mean? Yeah, what is what is IP68? <laughs> so, Ingress protection. Ah, okay. So, uh, where's the cocktail party? Uh, I don't know. That's, that's, I'm still, that's work, the, I'm still, still working. I'm on still that. working on that. Yeah. Okay. No, no invitations have come through yet for some I reason. I certainly haven't gotten mine. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I think we are good to go. I think we're done there. Yeah. I think we're done with the with the uh, with the uh, email. I think we need to go to a break and. Is this your time to tell people Whoa. that we really like their we really like their emails? That's what you oh, need to do. Oh yeah, now, we see? love your emails. Email us. I only do that when there's music. Email us. Well, at yeah, tech and I got you. I'm sorry, I got Strat- you off track there too. Email so. us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Yes, the stream is back up. You can uh, listen to us do the program as well by going to Federal News Radio, federalnewsnetwork.com, and you can watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope device app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. some technical problems here so we are just going to continue on hang on a second because now i've got this all messed up over here (laughs) we are having a day doc bear with me you know what we're just going to do this 
Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. Now it's time for Profiles in IT, and you continue on from there. Yes, indeed. Today we're going to feature Dmitry Grishin. Dmitry Grishin. He is a Russian internet entrepreneur best known as the co-founder of Mail.ru, the Mail.ru group, and a pioneer in Russia's internet presence called the RUNET, the RUNET. That's the Russian version of internet. I decided to look at somebody from Russia because we were talking about blocking all this uh, software from Russia. So I said, well, let me look at some of the tech guys in Russia to see what they're doing. So Dmitry Grishin, he was born October 15, 1978 in Kapustin Yar. That's a Russian rocket launch and development site. His father was a designer of radar systems for the MiG-29 jet fighter. At age 12, Grishin saw VCR for the first time. And he loved the mechanics of the machine, and that sparked a lifelong interest in robotics. During his sixth year of school, his parents brought him a basic computer, the Electronica BK, and he played games and created his own programs. While attending the Bauman Moscow State Technical University, Grishin started working for the U.S. software company Axiom International. And he oversaw programmers in Florida from his student hostel hostel in uh, Moscow. He worked as a senior software developer and IT consultant while at Axiom. So he was in college. And he was making good money. In March of 2000, he began to work for NetBridge. Now, this was at the peak of the dot-com craze. And he was head of project development. He was working... On, the, an, on an online auction site called molotok.ru. And uh, hit, um, and then what happened in 2001? And, well, after a year working there, he was promoted to chief technology officer, CTO. As soon as he became CTO in 2001, the dot-com bubble burst, funding dried up, and uh, NetBridge had to merge with Port RR. Port RU, and uh, Grishin switched over to the new company, and he and he started working on Mail.ru. He was uh, he took over as a service center uh, manager for Mail.ru, but then within a couple years, within a year, he was the company's technical director, and then two years later, in 2002, he became the executive director, and then in 2003 became the CEO. So he basically. St- took over Mail.U and started really ramping up their expansion coming out of the dot-com crash. Now, under Grishin, Mail.U expanded to become Russia's second largest web company in revenue, and it, prov- it provided a suite of consumer products, including chat services, email, and a social network called Odnoklasniki. Odnok. Nikki, I don't think I'm pronouncing that right, but it's uh, a big yeah, social network. We're there. gonna go with it. <laughs> I think I think we're just gonna have to go with that. And so this, and if you you can you can go you can look up mail.ru. It's kind of interesting. You go to the website. Of course, everything is in Russian, but they've they've got and, and they've recently been getting into a lot of games. In 2010, mail.ru held its first large IP held an IPO that was the first large IPO for a technical company within Russia and they raised 912 million dollars 90% of Russian internet users regularly use mail.ru services in November of 2013 Grishin launched mail.ru's 
U.S. subsidiary called My.com, M-Y.com. You can look that up. It's interesting to go around that site. Now, My.com is based in the Netherlands with operations in California. And that's basically My.com is a suite of mobile messaging services, email, and a lot of games. I'm telling you, they got a lot of gaming applications for both the iPhone as well as for Android phones. There are a lot of there are a lot of games you can play right on the web there, at my.com. In 2013, Grishin was named uh, was put on the list of M, uh, put on the list of 35 innovators under 35 by MIT Technology Review. Now, Grishin resides in Moscow. He's married with one child. He speaks fluent Russian, English, and Chinese. Hmm. In 2016, he stepped down as CEO of Mail. .ru, but he still remains as chairman. In 2012, he founded a venture capital investment firm, Grishin Robotics, and he initially capitalized this uh, this VC fund with $25 million from his personal fortune. The company initially focused on investments in the field of personal robotics worldwide. Through these investments, Grishin said he hopes to raise the profile of the robotics industry and being robots to the homes and offices of tens of millions of workers. What if we so, don't want one? Well, it's okay. I mean, <laughs> do you, you want know, a robot? Uh, yeah, I, I want a robot. Do you really? I, oh, of course. What I are you going to do with a robot? I just talk to it. You know, just you enjoy. You have a my, wife for that. I just enjoy my. But you know, here's the thing with the robot. You just glossed right over that statement. Yeah, you, you know. <laughs> you, no, with the robot, if if you if you don't want to talk, you just tell the robot to stop talking, and boom, it works perfectly. Doesn't work with humans, does no, it? It, it usually makes them talk more. It it does not. You you know what? I, I started. I got interested in this looking at you know technology in Russia because you know there are individuals who actually make things happen technically, and all this politics between governments is, gets in the way, Yeah, in a way. And so uh, I think this is a good guy, but uh, we'll never be able to use his software here in the U.S. because of this fear of having, you know, Russian software. Although my.com apparently has a lot of users in the U.S. So is there you go. Everything you want to know about Dmitry Grishin, the co-founder of the Mail.ru group. So do you do you have a Roomba speaker? I mean, that's about as close as you can get to a robot right now, one of those little uh, robotic vacuum cleaners. I used to have a little webcam that would go around the house. I remember that, but yeah. you don't have a Roomba. No, I don't have a Roomba. I've I've looked at it, but I, I think they get stuck on things. They have, you know what, and, and how much stuff can they pick up? I, I need like a, a lawnmower bag on the back of mine. That's right. To make it work right. Yeah, you you, you probably need like a little dump truck with like a, <laughs> like a, like a, something with with, with, a, with a robotic a, guy with uh, one of those spiky. That, that's exactly. You pick up all the trash. Exactly. There you go. All right. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Federal News uh, Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 103.9 FM HD2, 103.5 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. The Periscope camera has been put back on the pedestal, so we can not, we're not looking at the ceiling anymore. And the feed is back up, and I think I've got automation fixed. So we're going to go to a break and come back with uh, the pop quiz here on Tech Talk Radio. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. That's your cue, Doc. Okay, thank you. Thank All you right, very sit much. Down. Hey, please sit, sit down. down. Please sit Quiet down. down. That's right. You know, everybody's in here waving Russian flags. I don't know how they... <laughs> found out that I was going to be featuring Dimitri on this show today. I think we've been infiltrated. I think we must have spies That's in, the, the, in the, the area. Automation computer. That could be the it. The commies took it over. Now, this is not merely a radio show. This is a no. classroom of the airwaves. And we're yes. going to see whether you have been listening to the show with a pop quiz. To get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get tickets to fine dining. And you'll also get an A-plus for today's class. Now, earlier in the show, I talked about Dmitry Grishin. He, of course, the Russian entrepreneur who co-founded the Mail.ru group. Now, this is the thing. He was born in a particular town in Russia. And what was that town known for? Exactly. Yes. If you know the answer to the question, now is your chance and time to pick up the phone. Where's Mr. Big Voice? Yeah, there we go. There we go. Okay, anyway, well, the number to call today, 877-936-9333. 877-936-9333. Now i got to figure out why that's not working. Uh, so anyway, let's move along here with something else to talk about, Doc. Let's talk about the uh, digital tools for dyslexia. Okay. Now, dyslexia, is, of course, is a learning condition characterized by difficulties in reading and, to some extent, writing. And the web's full of a lot of content, uh, and there are all kinds of different fonts and different extensions that make it easier for dyslexia. And, and frequently, people with the, the dyslexia, they'll reverse the order of the letters. So they see this letter swapping, or maybe the letters will be turned around or merged together. So it turns out that there are some ways that you can reduce the effects of that, and these are available. One thing, they're making fonts that you can install on your computer that are that are asymmetrical and they're and your and your mind just can't so easily swap them or turn them around. And there are two big names in dyslexia fonts. One is called Open Open Dyslexic, 
open dyslexic, and the other one is called dyslexie font. Both are popular and both are free. You can install these fonts and then you can use them whenever you are surfing the web. These would be very excellent tools, open dyslexic and open dyslexie fonts. And so when anybody with dyslexia is using the computer, this will help solve their problem. There are also browser extensions that make it easy to do, do this one. There's the one which was really designed to be very easy to use is Hype Helperbird. Helperbird. It's available for both Chrome and Firefox. Now, Helperbird has a wide range of options, including changing to dyslexia-friendly fonts. It can change colors. It can do text-to-speech. It can do tint overlays. It does much more. Now, it's really convenient to use, and you don't need any more extensions, but it's the cost is $4.99 a month, but I think it is well worth it. So those are two digital tools that you can use to help your child if they have dyslexia in surfing the web. We don't have an answer yet, so why don't we ask the question one more time? Okay, now, uh, Dimitri Grishin, his, his dad was in the tech industry, and he was born in a town that was known for something. That's right. Something that the Russians were very proud of. Let's see if we can get this to work now. Okay. Nope, that's not working. So here's the phone number that you need to call if you have the answer to yes. the question. 877-936-9333. Okay. Okay, now what I'd like to do is do a little food science. That Oh, I know we, what you're going to talk about. We, we, Go we, for it. We're going to do a little food science here because, you know, Thanksgiving is coming up. It is. And the first thing, we're going to apply thermodynamics. Thermodynamics is how heat penetrates meat as you're cooking it. And in particular, we're going to talk about the turkey. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem with the turkey is that by the time you get the all the dark meat properly cooked all the way down, that the that the white meat, the, the breast meat, is like dried out and overcooked. So how can you sort of balance that out? Well, Peter Snyder recommends that you cook a frozen turkey. Instead of thawing it out, you put it in the oven frozen. Now, Snyder's president of the Hospitality Institute of Technology and Management at St. Paul, Minnesota. Now... What he does, I mean, and the reason he does this is that, you know, a lot of times if you forget to thaw the turkey, it takes forever to thaw it out. And you can't thaw it out on the counter. You've got to leave it thawed. you got to thaw it out in the, in the refrigerator, and that takes a few days. So you just, uh, you, don't, you don't have to worry about it. So if you take, say, a 12, a 13, 12 to 13-pound 13 turkey that's frozen, it'll take about five to five and a half hours to cook it at 325 degrees. Now, it turns out... For the first two and a half hours, the legs and the thighs uh, get get up to about 100 degrees, but the breast is still like icy, mm-hmm. like it's still soft ice. That's bad. Yeah, but that's only at two and a half hours. So after three and a half hours, the legs and thigh are around 150, 160 degrees, and the breast is around 40 to 50 degrees. And at this point, you know, that bag of stuff that's in the middle of it, the, the liver, the heart and all. Make you can, sure you take that out first. You, you can pull that. You can't take it out when it's frozen, but, but after three and a half hours, you can go in and you can pull that out. After four and a half hours, the turkey's nicely cooked. And this, at this point, you can put a, put a thermometer into the, um, into the turkey, and it should be 175 to 185. And the, this is for down the, the leg and the, th- and the thigh, and the breast will be between 160 and 170. 
So the beauty of this is that the breast thaws out last, and so it is cooked the least. So you don't overcook the breast. So the breast and the legs are finished at about the same time, and you don't have to spend all that work thawing out the turkey. You just throw in the frozen turkey. That's, that's, about, that's about as easy as it gets. I don't think I'm – well, first of all, I'm going to brine mine with <laughs> this apple cider thing, so that's going to work frozen, Oh, of course. But I fixed it because everybody likes white meat, so I just buy a breast. Yeah, that, that actually solved the that problem. That solves the problem, And then you don't, you don't worry about the white and the dark cooking at the same time because there is no dark and meat. Actually, there are a few people who do like dark meat, so what I wind up doing is is I get uh, uh, a couple of legs. You know, oh. you buy a couple of legs at the, at the grocery store and just throw them in later on. So you have turkey parts as opposed I mean, to a turkey. Parts. Well, it's getting wound up getting cut up anyway, right? Yeah, that's a, that is a very good point. That is So there we've applied simple thermodynamics to a better way to cook your turkey. There you go. And nobody needs to see it in one piece to begin no, with. That's, well, no, it's pretty. You know, you put but it out there. they're all busy drinking and yeah, throwing stuff around that and is whatever. True. That is so, true. Thomas and Bowie, we're having trouble with the phones. Call us back, 877-936-9333, and we'll see if we can play the quiz with you. In the meantime, let's take a break. It is Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County, 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lines at Stratford University talking technology. We talked about thermodynamics last time. Now we're going to talk a little bit about uh, chemistry. So we, you know what, we, we don't do food science that much, but this is a food science twofer. This is a food science twofer. This we're going to do the I'm, food I'm science gravy without lumps ah okay you know this is great that you're doing this before thanksgiving before thanksgiving before thanksgiving i know that's always a good thing now grains like you got corn you got wheat they have they have both starch and protein the protein is sort of the uh, the dna right in the middle the, the sort of the wheat germ right in the middle of the seed and then it's surrounded by food which is the starch, which is what the seed lives on while it's just beginning to grow. Now, the starch provides, you know, provide, starch provides the food when the seed starts to grow. 
Now, if you remove the protein from corn flour, so you only have starch left, guess what? They call it corn starch. They've removed yeah. the protein, and then uh, and then it's uh, and so corn starch is a very nice thickening agent. You could also have potato starch, arrowroot starch, tapioca starch, but you know corn starch is very popular. Now it turns out this is the part of chemistry when starch reaches between 130 and 160 degrees Fahrenheit, it goes into a gel. It 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 starts gelling, mm-hmm. and that gelling process is what thickens the gravy. So you want to get put the starch in, and then you want to get the starch up to 130. 160 degrees, and then your your gravy will thicken. And the transition is dramatic. Boom, once it hits it, it just thickens up right away. Now, the key is to manage this process so that you don't get lumps. Because if you simply throw in flour, what happens is that as soon as that those clumps of flour get get uh, reach one outside of the reach 160 130 to 160 degrees you get a gel on the outside of the clump of flour then the inside flour just sits there and you've got a lump so you have to find a way to keep the flour separated or, or the corn starch separated when you throw it in now one way to do it is to is to create something is to create a mixture of made from the the corn starch and fat and you can do that with pan drippings or butter. And you basically mix the cornstarch with, with butter or with dri- drippings. And so you, you basically get separated by the, with the fat. And then you get a little ball of this fat and flour or fat and cornstarch. And you just throw it in. And because it's flattened, because it's now separated with the fat, you don't get, you do not get the lumps. This is called a roux, correct? That's called a roux, R-O-U-X. Yeah, it's French. And so you can... So that's the that's the easiest way to do it. Now another way you could use kneaded butter. Or, you know, sometimes they'll just put you just mix butter and flour, butter and cornstarch, and throw it in, and you can throw it in while it's then while the liquid is hot, and you won't get lumps. Now if you want to have medium thick gravy, you should have about two tablespoons of flour per cup of liquid. Two tablespoons. That tells you about how much uh, roux you have to make. Two tablespoons per cup. And you can you can handle that right away. Now, if it turns out that you do get lumps, uh-huh. the world is, doesn't end. It doesn't you, end. No. You simply get a strainer. You pour the gravy through the strainer, and then all the lumps are going to stay in the strainer. In the strainer. That's yeah. a great idea. So that's that's what you do if you know if, if something fails after the fact. You know what I've used when what? I've done that? A boat motor. Oh. You know the handheld mixers. Oh yeah. And sometimes that'll t- that'll take care of the problem. That's right. That's that's another that's another method too. That's a, so there you go. That's pretty aggressive. That though. is your food science lesson for the Saturday before Thanksgiving. There it is. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2 in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. You can uh, find out more about Stratford by, uh, University by going to stratford.edu. You can also listen to us on the Federal News Network stream by going to federalnewsnetwork.com. And you can watch us do the show. Now that my iPhone is no longer on the floor, you can follow us at WFED Tech Talk on Periscope. And uh, first, you have to download that app to your device. We'll be back in just a minute. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. The idea of the week, Mm -hmm. the first kingdom in space. This is for real, huh? Yeah, they already have their own website, asgardia.space. A-S-G-A-R-D-I-A, asgardia.space. Asgardia is a non-governmental organization that wants to become the first kingdom and the first nation state in space. Asgardia was created with the to- these top three goals in mind to ensure the peaceful use of space, to protect the earth from space hazards, and to create a demilitarized and free scientific base of knowledge in space. Asgardia also has a long-term objective of setting up a habitable, habitable platforms in space and building settlements on the moon. The nation will create a new legal platform for exploration of near-Earth and deep space in order to keep up with humanity's rapid technological and scientific expansions off the planet. It will create universal space law and astropolitics to replace the current outdated international space law and geopolitics. Now, on Saturday, this last Saturday, a group of 150 elected representatives met for Asgardia's first preliminary session. They have a parliament. You know, they had their first, I didn't know they had this. Their, they had their first preliminary session in Tallinn, Estonia. Now, more than 300,000 people are already paying Asgardia's annual residency fee. Uh-huh. 300,000 people are ready to rock and roll. Asgardia's goal is to transport thousands of people to an enormous space station by 2043 beyond Earth's jurisdiction and to build a new democratic society. By 2043. By 2043. the In project, 23 years. Yeah. How the, many of these people will still be alive in I, 23 I years? I have no idea. The project is founded by billionaire Russian scientists. This is another Russian guy. I, I'm on kind uh, of on a Russian kick to, uh, today. Yes, you are. Is Maybe it, we should... Uh... By, by, by billionaire Russian scientist and pol- politician Igor Azure Bailey. Have you been programmed? Uh, Do we need to deprogram you? No, after the I don't show? think so. There's okay. and there, I, I can assure you, there is no collusion. There is no Russian no, collusion. No Russian There's in no the Russian studio. collusion no. in the, with the studio, and it's currently chaired by by a former British politician, Lembic Opic. Now they're starting small. 
<laughs> right now, they have an online shop selling mugs, badges, and T-shirts. For discerning, rush right to that. For discerning as guardians. Now, anybody can listen, go to asguardia.space. I mean, it's an interesting, you can read their constitution. I mean, they're standing up, they've got a constitution, they've got, they've already elected officers for the parliament. Now, Asguardia was founded by Azure Bailey in 2016, and that is year zero in the Asgardian calendar. Jeez. <laughs> become a resident. Let's see what happens when I click on become a resident. As Now, they, they now boast 150 elected members from all over the world. At present, Asgardia has three tiers of members. You can be a follower, you can be a resident, and you can be a citizen. And each one of those requires a different monetary investment. I'm one-third of the way there. I've be, I, I clicked Become an Asgardian. Number two, accept <laughs> the Constitution. Guess what number three is? But, Pay residence fee. <laughs> there you go. Everything you wanted to know about Asgardia.space, this will become the first kingdom in space, and it is fun to look at that website. If, I'm, um, <laughs> if I seem distracted over here, it's because I'm, you know— Get my bitcoins together. Yeah. So I oh, can become maybe. A resident yeah. I, exactly. Okay. Let's have some good news this week. Yeah. Let's. When is that going to start? Yeah. Next <laughs> time for some good news. Some good news. Now, if things get too bad on the earth, you can always just you know head, 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 head for his guardia. Yeah. Okay. The good news of the week is passwords are protected by the Fifth Amendment. The Supreme Court in Philadelphia issued a forceful opinion holding that the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution protects individuals from being forced to disclose the passcode to their devices, of their devices to the police. In a 4-3 decision in the Commonwealth versus Davis, the court found that disclosing a password is considered to be testimony, which will be protected by the Fifth Amendment against self-incrimination. The Fifth Amendment privilege prohibits the government from coercing a confession or forcing a suspect to lead police to incriminating evidence. Unlocking and decrypting a smartphone or computer is the modern equivalent of these forms of self-incrimination. I mean, this is actually a pretty important judgment, I think. Critically, the court held in that uh, that held that the Fifth Amendment does does uh, in a very narrow. Let's see, I, I don't understand this. They 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 said there is an exception to this rule. When the police are only seeking business records and that when the request does not reveal the contents of the mind. So there was a very narrow exception to this when it was relating to getting business data, but it couldn't be personal data. So it was a fairly broad decision that I think is being welcomed by everyone. Now, what's interesting, if you have, say, face recognition on your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really not uh, covered. Really? They can take your phone and point it at your face and unlock it, and you're not giving them anything. So face recognition is not covered by this, this password protection. Wow. So that is why, by the way, <clears throat> on the iPhone, if you double-click the off button, it disables face recognition. I have not set up face recognition, so, and now I don't think I will. So, so there is a way. Like, if, if you have to hand over your phone to somebody, you can double, you know, you, you click once, and then and then it goes to the goes to the home screen. It takes face recognition to log in. But if you double click that, 
it the face recognition won't uh, won't work, and you've got to put in the password, and then you're protected by this Fifth Amendment decision. How about if you have an iPhone X and you don't have a, a home button? Well, uh, you, well, then then you, you you don't have to worry about your thumbprint. See, on my phone, my thumbprint. But so if I double click on mine, the thumbprint doesn't work. I have to put in the have to put in the password. Okay. So this is actually kind of an issue. Yeah, I think I so. Would say. So when people put in the you know the the fingerprint uh, you know login or the face recognition login, you may be sacrificing some rights under this particular court decision. Mm-hmm. Now. I got a Russia theme going on here. Russia is banning the sale of devices that that, that do not have Russian-made software. Now, you know, because we've actually we're banning the sale of Huawei devices in the U.S. because those are made in China, and the feeling is there may be back doors in there and that it might be unsafe. Well, Russia passed a law banning the sale of certain devices that do not have pre-installed Russian software. Now, the law will come into effect July of 2020, and it'll cover smartphones, computers, smart televisions. Proponents of the legislation saying it's aimed at promoting Russian technology and making it easier for people in the country to use the gadgets they buy. But there are concerns that this Russian software is going to have, you know, backdoors and surveillance built into it, and that security will be breached. Now, the law will not mean that devices from other countries cannot be sold with their normal software. What the law says is that if you've got, say, an iPhone operating system written by Apple, you have to have the option of booting up in a Russian alternative operating system where all of the writing is in Russian. So anytime there is software generated software used from another country, there must be a Russian alternative, and the user can, can choose which program to boot up in. Now, the Association for Trading Companies and Manufacturers of Electrical Household and Computer Equipment, that's RATEC, that is really a long name, that Association long of name. Trading Companies and Manufacturers of Electrical Household and Computer Equipment, have said that it is not possible to install Russian-made software on some devices and that some international companies may just pull out of the Russian market rather than play around with this law. Hmm. Others have raised the point that the Russian-made software may be used to spy on the users. Now, Russia has really been tightening up their, their rules recently. They introduced a tougher Internet law over the past five years, including requiring search engines to delete some search results that the leadership doesn't like them being revealed Ah. and calling on certain messaging services to share their encryption keys so that the Russian authorities can eavesdrop on the conversation. Now, the latest legislation in Russia that just was passed just, you know, in the last month was in, I talked about it, was the sovereign internet law. And in theory, this gives gives Russia wide-ranging authorities to restrict traffic on the Russian web. They're requiring all traffic in the Russian web to pass through Russian domain name servers and not use the domain name system, which is, say, resident outside of Russia. Because right now, like most of the worldwide DNS service goes through goes through data center out in Ashburn, because this is sort of ground central, this area, Ashburn, Virginia, this is ground central for the Internet. And what they want to do, they want to have all the top-level domain servers in Russia, so uh-huh. you know, so so they could just cut themselves off, and they wouldn't have to do anything at all 
except, uh, you know, if, if, if they're saying, well, suppose the United States cuts Russia off from the Internet, they want to be able to operate on their own. Mm-hmm. So Russia has been systematically trying to tighten things up in order to make it more secure. Hey, I went to the was messing around on the Asgardia site here. I've been trying to get onto the uh, the store to buy you a present, and I okay. can't. I guess you have to join. There's also fee to vote in the mayoral election. Oh, how much? What I is, can't get to it. You have to You have to join. Oh. I can't find out how much the fee is to join until you go through all the steps. I'm thinking we're, we're going we're gonna to have to become residents of Asgardia.space. You, because I, you get an Asgardia membership card, too. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, I, I, if it's not that expensive, I may join it. I may get a T-shirt, become, <laughs> you know, because I'm telling you, I, I, I'd like to be part of that first... Uh, First space government yeah. out there to well. see what in the world they're doing. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu and go to the Stratford University website and tell them you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. See you next Saturday for more Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.